Judges 5, if you want to use the Pew Bible, it's page 173. Easy for Judges chapter 5. So glad that you're here today. Um, and for some of you, that bed just felt so good this morning. You really didn't want to roll out. I see those nods. I hear those amens. Uh, I heard the story once of a mother and her son, and she was saying, Son, you must get up on Sunday morning. Oh, this bed just feels so good. I don't want to get out. Son, you must get up. Well, I've been around people all week long. I just want to stay home. But, son, you're the pastor. <laughs> Judges chapter 5. Let's begin at verse 1. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Beninim, sang this song. When the princes of Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord, I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Drop down to verse 19. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought. By Tekken at the waters of the ghetto. But they carried off no silver, no plunder. For the heavens, the stars, from the heavens, the stars fought on their courses. They fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping, so his mighty steeds. Curse, Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Let's pray. Amen, amen. Key verse there is verse 23. They did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. I believe that when biblical values are obeyed, God blesses a nation, blesses his people. But when they're ignored or forgotten, we stand in a place where curse can come upon a nation. As we read the scriptures here, we can see this is what was taking place here in the life of the Israelites, the children of Israel. Good kings would reign and the people would prosper. But then evil kings would reign. And they would tend to lead the people away from God. And then followed the curse that God would allow wicked nations to overrun Israel, bringing pain and disaster. Friends, God's word stands true forever. Amen? His word always will prove true. What God says he will do. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. We know what the Bible says. But sometimes people have their lives in turmoil. They need peace. And Jesus is the one that said, I want to give you that peace. They call him the Prince of Peace. We all allow him to work in and our lives. And then we can love others and uh, show forth Christ to those around us. 
Sadly, many pastors seem to dilute the message of salvation, uh, making it easy for those to live in a neutral plane or a neutral position on sin. They make it less evasive or offensive to the wider range of people. But I don't believe this is what I see in the Bible. As we study the Word together, I see that Jesus brought a message. He taught obedience and walking in His will. In the very word, the first words here, Jesus says in Luke 12, 51, Do you suppose that I came to give peace to the earth? Rather, I tell you not, but division. Now why does he say that? It seems like a contrary contradiction. But I believe that he knew that the world is under attack by Satan. And the Lord was saying, You've got to be on your guard. You cannot be neutral in any way. Don't allow sin in your life. He would then go on to the cross and die for every one of us that we can come to repentance. And so then our free will kicks in. We have the choice to make. Are we going to allow him to come and to be our Savior? We live in a society that seems to push for a neutral position in so many things. Uh, they want to make everybody equal. <laughs> we hear the term political correctness. I think many are blinded to facts. And I think it's, a, it's a, a noble position that they think they're taking. But when we ignore God's commands and substitute them with man's thinking to please others, it only is going to bring disastrous results. Think about the Supreme Court decision not too long ago on same-sex marriage. Way back in 1973, abortion rights. I want you to consider with me this morning three uh, key areas of neutrality. First, God's view of neutrality. And then secondly, what causes neutrality. And then lastly, the challenge to take sides. Let's begin then there, God's view of neutrality. Now here in our key verse, there was a curse coming down on this city of Araz, giving us a classic example of how God, what he feels about the neutrality of important issues. Let me give you a little background of the story here. For 20 years, there was a king by the name of Jabin of Canaan that was opposing the nation of Israel. Deliverance finally came under the leadership of Deborah. All the women said, yes! She was a prophetess. And I guess we should mention Barak the general also. You see, he was the one to go out and, and to lead the army, but he was afraid and never said, all right, I'll do it. And then the victory would be mine, not yours. And that's exactly what happened. The honor of God, the freedom of Israel, and the cause of truth against evil was in the balance. Young warriors of Israel, they were willing to fight and defend their homes and family. But here's this little city of Ross. People lived there seemingly had no zeal for the glory of God and were not willing to go out and join their fellow brothers and sisters to fight the Canaanites. They were stuck in the neutral. What a change from the beginning of the chapter that we read there in chapter 5, where Deborah and Barak are singing the songs of glory and praise 
of victory to now, here's this town that's fallen under God's curse. How do we define the word neutral? What does neutral mean? Well, it's not taking either side of an argument or quarrel. It's trying to play the middle, I guess, between extremes. Not identifying with one side or the other. In the morning, when you get up and you get out, you start your engine and you put it into neutral, what happens? Nothing. You don't get to work. You can actually roll forward backwards, right? Neutral in chemistry means it's neither acid nor alkaline in reaction. Neutral electricity, I'm told, has neither positive nor negative properties. You see, a battery needs both, positive and the negative, to work. Neutral color, what would that be like? Bland, right? I've, uh, I've been a painter for most of my life, and it's interesting what colors ladies come up with. <laughs> I guess I should tell you, I lean to the side of pastel colors. I like color, but I don't like it real bright. I shall never forget, we were painting a brand new home. The one room, the green was so dark. You could tell it was green, but it was really dark. The next room was a brilliant fire engine red. And guess what color the carpet was? White. White carpet. I thought, they don't have kids. <laughs> the outside of the house was chocolate brown. Everything but the front door, it was orange. I'll never forget that place. But I did what I was instructed and painted it. I like pastel colors. And I had my way out of it in there with kills and covered it all and put on nice colors. Anyway, let's move on. I was a rabbit trail there, you're right. Neutral in religion means apostasy. You don't stand for anything. But in not standing for anything, guess what? You're against God. There in Israel, one would be driving along a road where fields were full of rocks and stones, and I saw that. I mean, it looks barren. And here or there, you see a little bit of hesitation. Or if somebody has a garden, I don't know how they garden with all those rocks and stones, but they eat out on the garden. But as you're driving along, you start up around on the mountain, and you suddenly see a beautiful grove of olive trees and flowers, and guess where that is? The Mount of Olives. Of course, today there's a huge monastery there, uh, and it's, it's just a very beautiful place out in the middle these rocks and what have you. But it was on that mount is where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. You have it in your Bibles, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Some of the greatest teachings that you can find. But it was there that the disciples asked Jesus, when will the end be? What are the signs of, of the end time? What's going to precede that event? And so he preached, he talked about the great tribulation, the, court, the curse 
or course rather, of the age and what was going to be taking place. He talked about the fig tree that was withered. He spoke about his return, coming back from heaven to judge the world, the nations, having them all gathered around him. And it was there that he talked about dividing people into two groups, the sheep and the goats. The sheep and the goats. If you ever, if you grew up on a farm and you had either one, they're interesting animals, aren't they? Oh, I love them a little. They're so precious little cuddly things. When we lived there in the parsonage, uh, Henry and Elsie had, had goats, and in the springtime, we'd see these little kids over there. Our grandchildren were down one time, we went over, and Henry said, come on in, it's only been in a month. And they were picking them up and hopping in the cutest little things. Then I looked over there, that old dirty Billy. But talking about the sheep and the goats, God is going to separate one from the other. They would be judged on how they treated other people. Imagine that. Jesus then told the crowd how they would help others who hunger and thirst. They would help the aliens and the strangers, the naked, the sick, those that are in prison. That's the sheep, the sheep nation that were given a good commending here for providing food, water, clothing, fellowship. And visitation. Sounds like a Christian to me, doesn't it? The goat nations, though, they were reprimanded. They were moved to the left side because of their neutrality. They committed maybe no gross sin, but they just were living their lives in neutral, not going in. King Herod feigned worship, remember that? He said, oh, I want to worship this new child that's to be born. God knew King Herod, his heart, told those travelers, uh, the three wise men, what to do, where to go. Because he knew that, that Herod's heart was not in neutral. He was against God, against Christ. What about Pilate? He washed his hands of the guilt, thinking that would take it away. He wasn't neutral. He was against Jesus Christ. He sensed God's Son to die. The scribes and Pharisees looking on, were they in neutral? Never. They plotted every step of the way to get Jesus crucified, turn him out of the way. The Fifth Amendment of the Constitution of the United States says no person shall come be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. You ever people say, I, I claim the fifth? In other words, they have the right to remain silent and thus remain neutral on the grounds that their answers might incriminate them. Now that may work in man's legal system, but it does not work in God's eyes in his kingdom. Sin is a felony of the highest degree, is what the Bible tells us. What put Jesus on the cross anyways? Our sins. Your sin, my sin. He died that cruel death to pay the penalty of sin. Oh, friends, may we never, never forget that. 
Also, unlike our legal system, though our lips may, may remain silent, our heart still unites us, doesn't it? Before an all-knowing God. We either accept Jesus or we reject him. There's no in-between. There's no neutral. It's much like an official... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Neutrality is not permitted in the kingdom of God. So what causes neutrality? Where does it come from? What is it? There are many people like those that lived in this little city who wish to take part in rejoicing when the victory's won. I heard, it was a joke years ago, fellows were getting ready to go to battle and they were classified. And one fellow said, asked me, well, what classification are you? He said, I have a classification B. I want to be here when they leave and be here when they get back. I'll have to ask Al about that one. I'm sure there is no such thing. But these people just wanted to rejoice when all the battle's over and everything is great because they stayed in their homes the whole time. They refuse to get involved where there's any agony, any fear, any blood of battle. It's much like uh, elected officials who, in all pomp and glory, cut the ribbon, you know. Uh, but where were they when they were digging out and building that building? They leave the river to others. So what hindered these men, the barrage, from coming to the help of their kingsmen? Maybe it was plain thoughtlessness. Not really a predetermined hostility, but simply a carelessness. Maybe being preoccupied, too busy. Did you ever ask someone to do something? Oh, I'm just too busy. Go ask so-and-so. You know, the body of Christ is still hurt and injured by neglect. Neglect. Or when prayerless decisions are made and just plain inconsiderate statements are made of one another. Perhaps even a false modesty of saying, what can little old me do anyway? And then they stay home from helping, doing nothing. God judges every one of us by the intent of the heart and the efforts that we put. I have pictures and notes and little cards that the children have been giving me over the, my 25 years of ministry. Go to my office, tears of, there's one hanging there with your name on it. I can just all these little ones. I treasure those little cards and notes of encouragement. Um, I look at some of those cards now from the past church. They're grown up, these people. I have their own children. Honey, where did the time go? But every note was written the very best they could, not as the words were known. But you could still make out what they were saying, and to me it was a thought behind it meant so much. So I have these handwritten notes of cards, and I cherish them. I have a collection of them. Someday my children will probably get rid of them. That's how it works. <laughs> But God notices little tender acts of love and, and appreciation. He loves our acts of righteousness. He does not bless neutrality. Amen? Neutral we cannot be. 
Well, there's a challenge lastly that takes sides. The book of Job tells us of a man who Satan fought hard and heavy. You would almost think that he lost everything. All his servants were killed but one. All his family died in a, I guess the roof came in upon it. And somebody came and told him. Even his wife said, Job cursed God. There's nothing worth living for. But I'm glad to report to you that Job remained steadfast and loyal in his faith, faith in the Lord. During his persecution, his so-called friends and comforters came to him. Boy, that's our friends and comforters. We don't need them. But they proved to be just the opposite. They, he would have been better off without them, I would say. No one stood with him. Just like the people here in this town or city of Moriah. They did not come to the aid of their brethren, and God was angry with them. Think about Job. Actually, God asked Job then to pray for his comfort, for their forgiveness and, and for mercy for them. Someday there's going to be a time of peace after, again, after Christ comes and wins the final war of sin. But not until then is it for us to declare truce. We're soldiers of the cross. So Jesus declared that in the last days of Laodicean church, neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. What does the Bible say? He's going to spew them out of his mouth. I like a good cup of hot tea, and I like a good ice tea. But when it's lukewarm, it just doesn't cut it. So I, I can easily understand that. In other words, Jesus knew that in the last days, the devil's going to fight the church to tempt it to be in neutral. Wow, that's a challenge to me as a pastor and to all of us. I want to share you an old story that I ran across. It's, it's humorous, but it brings out a point. It's about a horse. Not just any horse. One that served the Biloxi, Mississippi Fire Department faithfully for many years. Now, you know it's an old story because they got themselves finally a new fire truck. And so they sold this old horse to a farmer. His farm was just on the edge of town. Beautiful, gentle horse. Put it out to pasture until the fire alarm went off. No gate or fence could hold that horse. He would break out at full gallop and go down to the fire station. There he stood at attention as he was trained to do. Well, the new owner finally understood Galen as a farmer. When the fire alarm goes off, get on the horse and ride it to the fire. His old man was not in neutral. That was the horse's name, I guess. As far as the horse was concerned, he just changed barns. He went from the, to the fire from a different pasture. Nothing else changed. Neutrality lets the fire of sin burn down the neighborhood around us without even an outcry. Listen to the words of Jeremiah, chapter 4, uh, verse 19. Oh, my anguish, my anguish. I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. 
All over our nation, we hear of violence and addictions, the fires of unbelief attacking God's word, the foundations of our homes being undermined, and prophetic scriptures are sounding out of the Lord. Who will go? You know the story there, 1 Samuel 17 of David and Goliath. Here was this giant, Goliath from Gath, who was troubling Israel. They were in war, and three times a day he'd come out there and beller and, and talk terrible things and degrade the God of the heavens. And that army, there was no one willing to go down, not even the king. Jonathan was even in that group, as well as David's brothers. No one would go near because they were filled with fear of that giant. But then David came. Well, I'll go. How did his brothers react? Oh, wonderful. Our brother's going to do it. They made fun of him. What, are you crazy? You're going to be down there and slayed dead within minutes? Who do you think you are? You full of pride? Because he wanted to stand up against this evil man because he loved God and his God was being torn down. David said, I'll go. And the king realized that he was serious. He gave him his permission. That's just a short version of that story, as you know. David acted out of faith. All the rest were in neutral. In conclusion, Jesus asked the question of his disciples, and he wanted them to make a decision. Who do men say that I am? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Someday every one of us is going to stand before God and we have to have that answer. The church of Jesus needs dedicated men and women. Thank God for those that are giving themselves into the work of the Lord. And that's in many, many different ways. God bless you. We need dedicated people who are active in the assault against the strongholds of Satan in prayer and in action. Yes, if at times we feel like we failed, and we all have, all of us, remember Jesus is there to He's there to restore. So he's empowered us to the task. We have been clearly promised victory through Jesus himself. As the flow of the rivers, even onward, so is the move of God through the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord, God's church is moving ahead these days. So the call is for those who are available and active persons to rise up. You know, there's a, there's a harvest field all around us, and it's quite ready to harvest. Let's make ourselves available soldiers, let us say. Worship.